You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast, live from downtown Portland, Oregon, in the great Pacific Northwest. I'm your host, Dave Dahl. You may know me as the creator of Dave's Killer Bread, or maybe I was a drug dealer at some point in the last century. If so, you probably owe me. You can pay me back by going on iTunes and giving us a favorable review. We broadcast live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, and you can listen to previously recorded podcasts at your leisure on your podcast app. With me in the studio, as usual, um, is everybody's favorite jackass, Lad. What's up, buddy? Well, hey, man. How's everybody doing out there? Good to see you guys or hear you guys or know you guys are out there. Um, I got a little bit to report this morning. You know what I'm saying, Dave? I don't know what you're saying. You do. <laughs> I never know what you're saying. All right, so I know Dave's know not the one. going to come out of that mouth next. Dave's not the one to toot his own horn, but if he could, he would. But uh, I just want to let everybody know that I'm very proud of Dave because last night he was given an award over at... Uh, LMV, it's the League of Minority Voters. Yeah, they ran out of decent people to give awards to, obviously. Yeah, well, there were some pretty cool people there, though. And so Dave was given an award. Uh, he kind of blushed a little bit, gave a little speech, mm. did pretty good. I dropped my award. He did. The, 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 glass, the glass award, um, you know, sits on top of this pedestal thing. I didn't know it wasn't attached, so I have a I have a thing about doing something ungraceful every time I uh, every time I move. Actually, yeah, you did that. We had a we had a company party back at Dave's Killer Bread, and uh, Dave got this big uh, big trophy that uh, we sponsored uh, this baseball team, softball softball team, yeah, and right. uh, Dave got up there, bam, there it went, broke. They had to yeah. fix it. So, so what do you got to say for yourself? What have you been up to? Well, you know, just doing a lot of work for you. Uh, oh, man. That's what I do. How come I don't see anything getting done? <laughs> I don't know. Because uh, you're always somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, okay. Working. Um, well, anyway, let's get on to our guest today. Our guest is a man I met at Powder River Correctional Institution toward the end of my fourth and final prison bit in 2004. We both got out and hit the bricks as reborn men. No longer with a criminal mindset. The result for me was a wild and wonderful ride with TKB. For our guest, we know he ended up at the helm of Bridges to Change, whose stated mission is to strengthen individuals and families affected by addictions, mental health, poverty, and homelessness. Did you know that was your... Uh, that was your mission? Absolutely. Yeah. I've, uh, <laughs> I hope I've, so. <laughs> I have personally known scores of people whose lives have been affected by this organization. 
so I'm pretty happy to do this today. Uh, Lad, what do you got to say? Well, you know, I, I got a little personal story uh, about Monta. Uh, back when I was your assistant at the bakery, Monta, and uh, a cohort of his named Doug Van Zant. Doug uh, Van Zant. Would give me How's a, Dougie doing? He's doing good. They would give me a call every once in a while if they had an outstanding uh, uh, one of their guys in one of their programs, and or, guy, or a woman, you know, whatever. And I would help them get a job at the bakery. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, we had a plant manager. We could oh, go to them, yeah, yeah. and we could get them a job at the bakery. It changed after HR came in, of course, but you know <laughs> how that goes. HR is always messing stuff oh, up. Oh, my God. They don't, sometimes don't get it, you know? Yeah. So anyway... Um, um, after Dave sold the bakery, I moved back down to Eugene, where I'm from. Uh, started work at a, a similar program called Sponsors. Eventually, I wanted to move back up here. Um, called Monta to see if there was a job available. Monta was gracious enough to set me up with some housing and got me back up here to Portland. And I eventually was able to hook back up with Dave and go to work for his new business. So, Monta, on a personal level, I want to thank you for that. Now, um, you know, I've always thought that Monta, like Lad, was a girl's name. But, uh, you know, this is, you're clearly not a girl. This is true. Okay, so, anyway, welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast, Mr. Monta Knudsen. Yeah, I really want to thank you guys for having me on, and um, thanks for that memory. Uh, back in 2007 and eight, Doug and I were working in Clackamas County, and, and getting folks jobs was important, um, and Dave's Killer Bread was al- always there. What year? Uh, 2007, 2008. Wow. Yeah, 2008, and so that was pre-HR, pre-temporary service. We were able to get our guys and women up there and um, get to work. That was fantastic. Yeah. And you know what the thing is, is that, Dave, we had some, some really, uh, you know, successful guys come out of there that, the, that these guys sent over to us. Yeah. Well, you know more about it than me. So if you got something, to, you know, if you want to expand on that, please do. Well, Montu, um, you know the guys you sent over there. Uh, I'm sure we have some guys that are still out doing the things, and I think we still have a couple guys that still work for Dave's Killer Bread. Yeah, I think there's two. I don't remember their names off the top of my head, but I believe that people are have been there for you know since 2008. Um, I believe the one guy was promoted quickly, and I think he uh, was supervisor of the ovens. Uh, I don't know what his exact duties were, but you know, through either a stepping stone at Dave's Killer Bread, moving on to the next phase of whatever their employment brought in their lives. So love, I love to see that. You know, so it, it works. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to, well, we've got a lot to talk about. Um, I want to make sure we cover every, you know, the best we can, every important point. Um, can you basically... You you know talk about you. Let's start with your story. Sure. Let's start with how you ended up from start to finish everything that ever start to the point where you got to Bridges of Change. Sure. So yeah, a, a quick version of that story was you know I I suffered um, from addiction uh, for many years of my life. Ended up on the streets of Portland when I was 15, 16 years old, um, and ended up with a severe crack addiction, and that quickly took off into criminality and um by the time i was uh 16 and a half i was sentenced to mclaren for um for a home invasion it was a kidnapping and and robbery one i was sentenced to five years i did a couple years on that 
And then when I got out of McLaren, I didn't quite grasp the idea that I was an addict. I was that before Major 11? Or that, was, that was pre-Major 11, okay. so this was like 87. I think Major 11 came along in 94. I was, I was around then, too. Yeah. And so, um, and so when I had gotten out of McLaren as an 18, 19-year-old young man, I didn't understand addiction. Um, I didn't know I was an addict, and so I thought I could drink, and that eventually led me back to using again. And so this cycle went on for years, in and out of prison. Um, and every time I went to prison out of my four, five-county McLaren and then four state prison um, tours, um, I always wanted to do the next right thing. I just didn't know how to do it. And every time I was released, I was released to back to the streets. That's a, you big, know? That's a big lesson. I mean, it's a big point because, um, you know, why was that? Why didn't you get to know the right, next right thing? If you wanted to learn the next right thing, were you were you um, taking advantage of the programs? Or at that point, were you just kind of like, ah, oh, it's bullshit. You know, these guys yeah. are trying to change my mind. My mind's fine. I, I think... Um, my second to last time I went through prison boot camp and I actually learned quite a bit. I just still couldn't make that connection around alcohol and about six months after my release, I thought I could drink. Um, and that quickly led me back to my, my old running behaviors really quickly. Um, I only was out a year. The and crack up, and everything. Uh, back to, so crack was just as a, as, as a young man and then after I got out, I got introduced to methamphetamines. Yeah, much, much better drug. Much better drug. Much cheaper, <laughs> it lasts longer, you yeah. know. From, a, from an addict's perspective, <laughs> it's a far better deal. You know, I feel like for years I always said meth saved me from crack, which is somewhat true but yeah. sad <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. Um, I used to call it my... Uh, my savior yeah because it was my first transformation in life from just this really miserable suicidal bastard to um to happy-go-lucky ready to go let's do this you know and so and people don't get that that how transformative in a bad way really that it can be yeah and I, I feel like, uh, so the last time, you know, that failed attempt, then I went to Powder River, kind of where I met you at on this last run, my fourth prison trip, did the Powder River program. Um, and just to mention, like, I met you because you were a guitar player for a, the choir, a, the a Christmas, Christmas show that yeah. we were preparing for. Um, and, uh, you know, when I got out that time, the difference was I was released to clean and sober housing and a recovery mentor enters Doug Van Zant into my life, who was my first recovery mentor. And so I got the direction that I needed when I got out by him simply being there, showing me how to connect to recovery, took me to get a job, put me in safe um, and secure housing, you know? So all the previous releases, it was either to my mom's, bless her heart, but she doesn't know anything about addiction and couldn't... She can't couldn't, save your ass. Couldn't, couldn't save... Yeah, and that didn't work, apparently, several times. And so... Um, this time when I got out, I had all those kind of support systems in place. And so moving ahead a couple years, a year and a half after I was released, um, Doug offered me a job to become a recovery mentor. And that was my first, um, outside of construction, my first job in the, in the field. So I worked in Clackamas County working with guys getting out of prison. And those were my people, those who, are, who I connected with. And because I knew the value that Doug instilled in me in our relationship when I got out, I was like, I was stoked on this job as a recovery mentor because I knew I could connect with these men and in the way. A difference. Yeah, it was huge, and so, um, and that kind of carried me on into um, my career into the field. And I was with Bridges to Change as a 
a recovery mentor slash program manager for three years. Um, and then uh, I was swooped up by Volunteers of America, Oregon. Um, and at the same time, I was going to school, working on my, uh, my addictions, uh, associate's degree in addictions, became a counselor, and eventually, you know, managed um, two outpatient programs and a low-intensity residential program for Volunteers of America for five years. So still working with people in, um, in a recovery-related field um, and still able to... Um, to to use my past experience to help others. That's so meaningful. I, it, when you point out that, um, that that's a good subject because I found that, uh, you know, it's great that other people who aren't addicts uh, choose that field and they, you know, they become experts on clinical things. Mm-hmm. But the, the really the most the most effective, uh, I believe, are the, the ones who have the experience and have overcome it. Sure, yeah. And, you know, Doug, um, Monte, you were talking uh, about Doug and all these guys, and, you know, um, so I asked you this question earlier before we came on air. You are saying you have about 130 employees. Correct. And it's very impressive about what you were telling me about those 130 is that how many are ex-felons. Yeah, we have about, out of our 130 employees, about, I'm guessing, about 125 of them, 120 of them, are in active recovery and have engaged in the criminal justice system in some way. It's touched their lives. And so we're not even, we're, we're not only creating hope within the folks that we're serving in the community, we're giving opportunities for those people to either come through our programs and become employees or get clean somewhere else and come work for us. We're creating an environment for people to grow and thrive and help others. And as that happens, it just creates this ecosystem of recovery and just, it's an amazing thing. And it's exponential, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, you get an opportunity, you see these people's lives change. And they're doing the work. That's the only way it happens. They're doing right. the work. <clears throat> and um, at least that's my experience. And then you um, you see what happens after that. Because that's a seed. Sure. You know, I call it the good seed because we were bad seeds. And I named a loaf of bread after it. But, yeah. um, you know, it, that seed just turns into just amazing stuff. I right. mean, my, that, you know. Look what happened with mine. Right, right. Uh, I was given an opportunity that, um, that you know, changed a lot of things. And if you look at if that happens, then why not let it happen to a lot of other people, help other people make that happen. My personal vision statement now is to help others do what I've done. It's That's the way I describe it. Now, how, do, how does that come about? Well, you're you're making it happen yourself. So right. I need to be more involved in your in, in what you're doing because I believe um, that perhaps I can be helpful, you know. But we've talked about that before. Yeah. You know, can we go back to to Bridges to Change? You mm-hmm. know, people out there listening, uh, can you give them kind of an overview of what you guys do? And I know you guys have a bunch of houses. I know you have an apartment in um, in Oregon City sure. where you house, you know, all these, you know, ex-felons and, and drug mm-hmm. addicts and stuff. But can you give us an idea how many houses, what you guys do, sure. what kind of programs you have for them once they get there? Sure. And just um, and to add on to that, um, after my five years at Volunteers of America, um, uh, 
I was a, you know, afforded the opportunity to come back and lead Bridges to Change as their new executive director, and I wanted to give a shout out to Chuck and Joanne System, uh, Simpson. Chuck Simpson died um, last year, but they founded Bridges to Change in 2004, and if it wasn't for the work that they did up front, we wouldn't be able to do the work that we have today, so I want to give a shout out to them. Um, and so when I came on as their new executive director three years ago, um, we had about 25, 30 employees, um, some house managers, 180 um, kind of transitional beds and recovery mentors. And in the last three years, we've grown tremendously. Um, and now we're serving, you know, 400, we have 440 beds. Um, and I'll talk about those. And, and we have, you know, over 70 full-time recovery mentors and a bunch of other um, also clinical staff, they're doing treatment. So we've grown from like this $1.9 million um, organization, which is which is a, a good size organization to an $8.5 million in three years. And so our reach, not really about the budget size, but those dollars is showing that we're reaching more people. And so primarily Bridges the Change started as, you know, a housing and a recovery mentor organization. And that's that's the bulk of the work that we still do. We have about 440 beds, and those beds consist of either transitional housing um, that are program-specific for people uh, releasing from prison. We have mental health housing as well within um, three counties, Multnomah County, Washington County, and Clackamas County. Um, and, um, and then we also have kind of stabilization housing, which is a model that we created so people weren't getting terminated out of housing because of a relapse. We're able to staff it up more so we can work with them around that. So, and then also in addition to the housing and the recovery mentors that are attached to all these folks that are that are going through our programs, we also have um, outpatient addictions and mental health treatment in Washington, Multnomah, and Clackamas County. And so we've added that continuum of a service because at Bridges the Change, not everybody is ready to get that job and go to work. Some people need that additional treatment um, first, and so we wanted to be able to provide that in-house so we can get them to the next continuum of care that would be, you know, available to them through Bridges, Bridges to Change. And so um, uh, one of the, the amazing things that our mentors do, um, and there's kind of a, a, a hallmark of, of the work that we do, is they're able to go into the prisons and meet and do the reach-ins with the guys and the women before they get out so they can build those relationships. And then that's very important to do because, you know, as you know, being incarcerated, just to show up and, like, go see someone at an office, you know, that's, you know, like, who's this dude? Who's this chick? You know, I don't, you know, I don't want to talk to them. But if they're building that relationship before they get out, it's like, hey, John's meeting me at the gate. He's going to pick me up and make sure I get to where I'm supposed to go so we don't get lost because, you know, sometimes we get lost. <laughs> uh, out the gate by eight in the spoon by noon. That's what we used to say. And back in the pen at 10. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's exactly, yeah. that's exactly what happens uh, to, with some variations. Um, I wanted to, There's so many questions that came to me while we, you were talking. And uh, where do I begin? Uh, how long can they stay in uh, housing that you have? And what kind of alternatives do they have when they get, when, you know, outside of um, after they get done with what you're doing? Sure. So um, 
So the through the different programs are transitional housing that are uh, those beds are funded by the different counties and they get 90 days of free rent. They get a recovery mentor. And we're also partnered with other organizations like Volunteers of America Oregon or Southeast Works, who does a lot of the job development pieces. Our mentors also help with with um, getting employment. So they get the 90 days free rent. And then within that 90 days, we're trying to get them employed if they're ready for that phase um, and, get, and get them working within 30 days. So by the end of their 90 days, they're ready to transition to either um, Oxford housing, maybe another, you know, nap housing. There's tons of different housing providers out there. We also have rent rental beds. People can stay in one of our recovery homes for about $400, $420 a month. That's pretty cheap. Yeah. And so, relatively. yeah. And so we get them, we get them set up and stabilized through our program. And the goal is to have them fully self-sustaining on their own yeah. um, within 120 days. And most people are going to want to get move on to the next level. Nobody wants yeah, so it's transition, right? Right. Um, you made a let's see. Boy, you talked about a lot of uh, you know organizations that you're involved that you uh, you partner with and stuff. I was thinking uh, Central City. Do you do anything with Central City? Yeah, we're working on a program with them right now, um, and we just launched it a couple months ago. Central City reached out and trying to figure out how to serve pregnant women that are on um, MATs, medicated assistant treatment. Mm-hmm. So pregnant women that uh, are on opiates can't come off of opiates because of the um, uh, the possible fatality with with the fetus. And so we're partnering with them where uh, Central City is handing, handling the medication for us, and we're handling the treatment, mentoring, and housing services. So we have that partnership. That sounds like a tough one. I uh, Before Lad takes over here, um, I wanted to point out that we are doing Facebook Live right now. And um, if you want to go watch us live, if you're listening to us live, you can watch us live at my Facebook page, Dave Dahl. And lad, take it away. So, we got to have a little break here, Monta. So, thank our sponsors, CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. That would be cool if uh, everybody did that. They don't charge you for Nobody sending invoices, paid. phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. You can find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio slash Dave's got a small wiener. Put that all in there one time. Oh, boy. You just screwed up that whole doggone thing. Nobody's going to be able to find that, that what happened? address now. You're right. So, anyway, uh, nobody cares about my wiener, dude. I know. That's Somebody the problem does. you have. Yeah, Lad obviously does. He brings it up every time. <laughs> and uh, it's not as small as he, he thinks. Um, you said they were going to have a hard time finding that. Isn't that true? <laughs> so, um, okay, more questions. Uh, Lad talks about sponsors and his uh, involvement with sponsors. And uh, I want to... Do you have any, any connection with sponsors? Because that's a different area. Yeah, they're 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 down in Lane County in Eugene. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I first met with sponsors when I took this new position and got some good information um, from them about moving forward with housing. Um, as far as I know, they're doing some great work down in down in Eugene and Lane County. But you guys compare notes at all? 
Um, we haven't reconnected in the last three years, but I'm sure at some point we'll be at the same table again. I like to think that um, these organizations can all sort of learn from each other and not reinvent the wheel every time. Exactly. That's that's my. It's kind of my one thing I like to do is bring stuff together. You know? Sure. Uh, I know that sometimes there's egos and there's uh, like a, uh, a competition, sure. you know, and, you know, I think that's counterproductive. It uh, can be. Yeah, I think when we when we learn to collaborate and work together, I mean, we work very close with our local partners that we're, we're a lot of our clients are accessing similar services, you know, and they're moving around. And so we're we work closely with with our community partners that that we see on a regular basis that, you know, and I think if sponsors was up here and not in Eugene, we'd be able to collaborate a little uh, bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is, it is pretty distant, yeah. But I, I just think it's all, it's just great. I, I love to see improvements in how um, these, how folks are, are getting opportunities for transformation. Yeah. And you know, Dave, there's a, also another connection with Monta. You know, he had a connection with the bakery, but he also has a connection to one of your businesses, Discover African Art. Did you know that? What is he African or he is. is he art? What he's, is he's an African art piece. Yeah. No, what very. it is, and, and this is a program that Monta has expressed to me that he's very proud of. Uh, it's a new program that they have, and it services African American women. And he's going to be coming over to your facility and actually buying some of your art to oh, decorate this new that. this new facility. Yeah. When we so why don't do you that? tell us about that, Monta? Yeah, we want to get that done in the next couple of weeks. Great. For sure. Yeah. Um, so did this you, program, oh, go ahead. Oh, did you get, did you see some stuff you thought might work, um, might be, might fit the film? Yeah, so there's two, there's three folks that I wanted to bring to that, uh, oh, to, to the warehouse to, to, to make the choices. Um, we were just trying to connect on schedules with them. Mm. Um, and so Trules Nail, the, the director of Multnomah County Department of Community Justice. Um, is one of the fo one of the folks that I want to have at that table, and Are Erica they all Pruitt, African Americans yes. that you're bringing, mm -hmm. yeah. and then Erica Pruitt's the deputy director of Multnomah County um, uh, Department of Criminal Justice. So we want to have them at the table. Um, we just hired our first um, uh, supervisor for the program, who's an African American female. So the the program is funded by the MacArthur Foundation. Um, Multnomah County is the one that wrote the grant that received the funds. The purpose of the grant is to serve justice-involved women, um, and it's going to be focused on with an Afrocentric focus. So, mm -hmm. women of color um, are will be prioritized. But there will be the others who, who may be uh, may hit the you know the, get over the threshold there, right? They could be white or Hispanic yes. or yes, yeah. And we're trying to sort out. Um, uh, there'll be a total of 38 beds available, um, and so the other part of the grant is to reduce jail bed usage, trying to keep women out of out of jail and right. provide services instead. Much more um, conducive to to growth and transformation. Yeah, and yeah. the return on investment, the cost mm -hmm. of incarcerating folks yes. is ridiculous, very expensive yeah. um, compared to the cost of treating them. And so this program is it's still we're still um, starting the build out on the project. It's going to be in Gresham. Um, we're hoping to have the doors open between, well, it keeps changing because construction uh, is crazy in the city of Portland and trying to get general contractors out there to get the work started, it's been a challenge. Yeah, isn't that a trip? I mean, that is so cool. When people tell me they can't get a job, I'm like, I think you're full of crap. I think you haven't tried hard enough. Yeah, there's a lot of jobs out there right now. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I think the bigger problem right now is housing. Am I wrong? You're right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so that's what when I when I think of my vision, which I said is to help others do you know their own version of what I've done. Um, I think that I realized that this, they need their basic needs met first. Sure. And you guys provide that opportunity. Um, so that's great. But there's, as time goes by, eventually they have to get a, a home or, you know, someplace, an apartment, whatever. I was able to, in my day, I found slumlords that were willing to rent to me. Sure. And I, which was fine with me. But it's hard to find those guys. Right. And then um, I... You know, I met somebody who, or through somebody who was willing to rent to felons. Sure. So um, that's how it worked for me. But I realize there's a lot of of problems right now with that, more more so than, than employment. Yeah, I mean, we're being priced out. I mean, the whole city of Portland is, is moving east and west, and the costs on both the east and west side are increasing as well. It's supply and demand. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's crazy, and we're... You know, we lease, we have 40 homes, you know, and we own one of them. And so, um, you know, the average rent has gone up from 1500 to $2,000 to $2,500 to $3,000 a month. The average person, you know. Yeah. Even you know, the average person in general has, a trouble, has trouble with that. Yeah. This is so many... So many obstacles, so many barriers uh, that people have to overcome, and we're trying to figure out solutions. Right. I, I personally want to get involved in housing and and make and do yeah. whatever resources I add, you know, and get together with people and be a part of, of improving that situation because yeah. I see it's a basic need that needs to be taken care of. Yeah. And then at the next, see, once you get those those basics done. Then you can do what, what you know about, you know, in, you, you, another thing you know about, which is inspiration, sure. uh, education, the, the, you know, go get them growth. Yeah, because yeah. Because people who have been there and struggled and had adversity, when they are given the opportunities, when the opportunities are there, uh, look out. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, get a, the housing thing, you know, I see how important that is because, you know, like Dave was saying, you know, he was able to rent from slumlords. But what that does is it puts you in a complex where you're just around all these other felons that aren't really trying to make a difference. Sure. Which, which in, in some ways isn't so bad because you're inoculated. Um, you have to be able to live with that. You have to be able to get out, as you know, and uh, deal with other people who aren't on the right on the same page and you have to be able to you know so in my in my the way i looked at it and maybe i'm i was in a stronger place than most people when, when they get out but i was i was like i don't want to do that <laughs> you know i'm yeah, seeing but, it all around me yeah. but you know the people that aren't real strong in their conviction to stay out of trouble mm -hmm. if you surround them with guys like monta has in sure. his program now mm -hmm. here's a whole nother level of accountability and that goes a long way with these guys. You know, they see these guys that they used to hang around with and run, but they're they're doing good. Yeah, uh, it's you know it's got to be a yeah. changer for them. Yeah, and I mean, there's just a whole spectrum of you know people and different needs that they they have and such. I was in you know my own unique place when I got out, um, but I know you know I know um, what can happen. I uh, I stumbled again myself. You know, so I know that sometimes you need more than one chance, and you know the more the more um, 
the more pluses we can we can give people and opportunities to you know and, and less draw negative draw because some people are susceptible to that negative draw the, the more likely we're going to be successful is that right yeah totally and I, I feel like um, that's a big part of it and then I think another piece is um, is we have to change the way we think and we have to change the way we function as a society of how we're able to engage folks that are that have addiction issues that have criminality issues and as we know they usually go hand in hand along with mental health yeah um instead of hating on people right you know love on them because it's going to make your world better right totally let's do it selfishly i mean think about it you know if you want a better world better neighborhood if you want people to get to if you want things to be better um you have to address. Yeah, we have to address the, uh, the 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 bad things that are happening. We have to be very sorry. Lynn. No, that's okay. We have to be very strategic of, of where we open up our houses. It can't be too affluent. We don't want to have it too. Oh yeah, it, that'll drive people you crazy. Know, piss them off. It, it is, and what happens is here's here's what we hear. We love what you're doing, but we don't be, put it around. But me. not here in my neighborhood, right? And yeah. it's like. We have to come together as a community. Now, we know, and there's data that shows that recovery homes do not increase criminality or crime in neighborhoods. It, we know what recovery homes do. Sure, people relapse. There's problems, but they're small and compared to the positive impact recovery homes have on communities. This um, is part of the word that needs to get out. Yeah. I'm glad you're saying that. Yeah. And right. I, I and, agree. Well, you know, I, I was telling you earlier, too, before we came on here, that I, I love... The personal side of transformation. I just I love hearing the story about that. Now, you were telling me that at, at the point where you knew your mother wasn't able to to really help you, but now that you're in this position and in quite a position you're in, you know, I'm very proud of you for it. But um, how has your family reacted to that? You know, change in your life. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been tremendous. I think like any mothers, um, they worry about their kids. And, you know, it was it was about two years after my last release where my mom finally said, I can breathe now. Right. But it took two years. That was great for for her. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, you know, my family relationships are strong. Um, Of course, they're super proud of of the work that I've done in, in my professional life. And and, you know. Not you know, of course, I'm not the owner of Bridges to Change. I am there. You're their, trying to be though. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, as their executive director, I am leading the charge, right? And of course, I have amazing staff that are carrying out the work. Um, so credit to to them. Um, but it is kind of surreal to wake up every morning to what I built for myself personally and professionally. Tell us a little bit about that if you want. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Um, you got an old lady, old man? or I'm married, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, her name's Caitlin. Um, oh, good. And, uh, uh, you got uh, kids? Uh, yeah, so all my I raised five five kids Brady Bunch from my previous marriage. All uh, five were, weren't yours. One was mine. Oh. The, uh, the rest were stepkids. They didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was their father for mm-hmm. all intent and purposes. They their fathers weren't around. Were you on on drugs at the time? Um, well, so the youngest are sixteen were are twins, and I've been clean for fifteen years. So they've only known. They don't the, know the good, the good real, montage. The, the good seed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Power seed's my favorite. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just had some. All right, thanks, uh, buddy. Uh, and uh, um, so they're 16, um, 
And then uh, I have a daughter who is 19, and then um, so the twins are 16, daughter 19, and then the two oldest, 21 and 23, they're both in uh, the military right now. And you're what, 40-something? 46. 46. Yeah. Yeah, I would have guessed 46. Yeah, Yeah. okay, good, good. Good guess, Dave. You win, you win. I'm a liar. I've I've lied occasionally. (laughs) No, but my life is, you know... uh, I love my job. I love my, perf- my you know, I, I race motorcycles as a hobby still. I've been racing motorcycles for since 2007. Um, I would kill myself doing that. Oh, right? I love it. It's like what you I, know, that's one thing I wanted to ask you about, yeah. Monty, is, you know, I've tried to get a hold of you a few times. Mm-hmm. And every time I have, you're either racing your motorcycle on vacation, going to the coast or something. Do you ever work? Yeah, I know, right? I work one hour a week. Um, <laughs> uh, I love that model. Uh, no, I mean, I work hard and I play hard, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, that's that work-life balance, um, uh, you, you got you to work hard and you got to play hard, you know? And so, um, but, uh, back on the housing topic, um, or more of a policy topic, is that we as a community, um, you know, when I was saying we need to change the way we think and the way that we function as a, as a society around criminal justice, um, so we have to, we can't continue to think that we can incarcerate ourselves out of our mental health and um, addiction issues in this country. And so we have to shift the narrative that imprisonment, incarceration is not the answer, mm-hmm. that it's treatment services in some capacity that comes with housing. And a good percentage mentor- of, yeah. Yeah, and so, um, um, and so it's important for me to be at those tables where policy is, is, is being crafted or be in those conversations where people are crafting policy um, around how this specifically, this state, um, is going to move forward and, and function on those issues. Great stuff. So the politics is always involved. I, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a believer in the private uh, sector. Basically, you guys, what you're doing, making it happen because it's passion that's going to change things. It's it's care and passion and all that. When you start putting it in the hands of taxpayers, it, it becomes a different deal. And and politics. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just that's why I choose to do my work that way rather than to go try to influence politicians, although I do see some good politicians out there doing some good work. Yeah. So today's episode of Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed, deconstructed lad, you know what that means? Yes, sir. PR subscription service, which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize offers your company a dedicated account management to developing your insight into the world of PR and communication strategy while providing all the support you need. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Dave and Lad sent you. Um, and also, listeners, if you like the Felony Inc. podcast, not to sound like a broken record here because I already mentioned this, uh, but please leave a review on iTunes. We are still just getting this show off the ground, and we need you motherfuckers to give us some love if you want to keep this thing going. Also, um, we are on, on Facebook Live. I'm hearing people, uh, you know, fucking with me, telling me I'm a jackass because they can't hear me on Facebook Live. But... This is really about listening um, on the podcast app. That's right. So, I, I don't. I don't think it'll coincide. I think there's probably a little delay there, so you'd see Dave close like, enough, like a like a Japanese or Chinese. It's going to be a, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> so let's fight. <laughs> um, 
I don't know if you want to fight with Monta. He looks like he's pretty gunned I up there, Ma Dave. Monta's kind of tough. You know? huh? right. With a name like Monta, you, with a name like Monta, you got to be tough. Yeah, it's like man. being a boy named Sue. You know? That's right. <laughs> All show and no go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, okay, I wanted you were talking about mental health. So hey, uh, nobody knows probably a whole lot more about mental health than I do. You know, I've actually more. But you know, I'm, I've been mostly mentally healthy, you know, since uh, I had my turnaround in life, about beginning 38, but I, age 38, but I've had some, uh, some times that weren't so healthy, and uh, to that end, uh, I'm kind of passionate about mental health and mental illness uh, treatment, and I work a little bit with NAMI, mm -hmm. I support NAMI, uh, National Alliance for Mentally Ill, for Mental Illness. Um, do you work with NAMI? Do you work with other organizations at all? Yeah, so some of our staff participate in the NAMI Walk every year, and, and we, um, I think we donate to that project as well. Mm -hmm. um, we work a lot with DDA of Oregon, uh, Doyle Dual Smith. Dual Diagnosis Anonymous. Yeah, yeah we got Doyle. Um, so in our mental health houses, Doyle's uh, DDA comes yeah. in and provides meetings for our folks. And what we found is, you know, um, in our mental health houses, people are... Doyle's my boy, by the way. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, in our mental health housing, people are duly diagnosed or co-occurring. You know, they have both addiction diagnosis yeah. and a mental health. Which, you know, that's, that's a whole other subject. Let's yeah. get to it after you explain. Yeah. Ex explain that if you want. Go, go where you're going to go, and I'm going to talk about that. I'll make a note. Right. So what the houses um, give the opportunity for that program to do is both address um, getting them stabilized on their mental health medication and also working with them around their addiction issues. And, and as you know, a lot of people um, on mental health, it's stigmatized, and so they don't want to take their medication. And so our recovery mentors are to help work with them and get them up to the, to the folks that are providing their mental health care and their addictions treatment care. So we're really like safe housing for them. We work around the things that come up in mental health housing where a lot of providers don't want to deal mm. with the things that can happen sure. in, in, in housing. Some of it's distasteful. Yeah, you know. yeah. And so, um, and so we just do our best to provide the housing component and then work with our community partners to provide the mental health um, and the addictions pieces as well. That's, a, that's super cool. Um, the uh, Dual Diagnosis Anonymous, DDA, look it up, uh, is something that, you know, for me, they go hand in hand, the addiction and the mental illness. And being mentally ill doesn't mean you're just it, it can mean all different sorts of things yeah. in my case it meant that um, I was depressed I used to think that being depressed was an, a natural result of having a shitty life you know but you can actually turn that depression you can turn it around and change your life I just didn't know that for so long um, so that depression led me to the use of methamphetamines mm. it's like my first transformation my savior if you will which please Understand, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. There's no savior to, any, to the drugs. Except, in my case, when I did realize that I had mental illness and form of depression that I could do something about, I, I embraced it. I, I took meds, which helped me, uh, Paxil and Seroquel, not Seroquel, Paxil and, uh, and Effexor eventually, which were antidepressants that did wonders in my life. Um, it helped me get on the right track. 
people uh, need to, I believe a lot of people are in denial about their own you know, mental health. They can be better. And it just means they got to admit it, just like uh, drug addiction and such. So when it says dual diagnosis is anonymous, I think there's a ton of people who should be dually diagnosed, but they won't admit it, so it doesn't really matter until they admit it. Yeah. I feel like, and, it, and it's, I think we're beginning to change the recovery culture slowly. Mm-hmm. And I think the recovery culture itself promotes stigmatization of mental health. And so we have to get it out there to where people aren't feeling stigmatized around their mental illness and getting that treated as well. You well, know? They, they need to realize that mental illness is just like any other illness. Right. Uh, it's not something to be ashamed of, right. especially when you're doing something about it. It's like, I got a cold. Uh, well, I'm going to do, I'm going to, probably relax and rest and do some you know some fluids and you know take care of myself whatever whatever it takes um yeah if you got mental illness you just got to recognize it and do something about it basically when i went through prison i know you went through this too um especially in powder river we had opportunities for uh cognitive restructuring Mm -hmm. It's basically thinking errors. Sure. Now, it's debatable whether thinking error is mental illness or just a habit. But, I mean, to me, it's akin to mental illness because mm-hmm. you can do something about it. It's it, you, If you're... If you're operating uh, on a, with a brain that's not working the way it should, then it's you know do, you can do something about that. Sure. And uh, there's practical ways. A lot of it's just re uh, changing your thinking habits. In my case, it was uh, overcoming depression, so that I and and just these negative pathways I would go down in my mind that kept derailing me. So. I'm like, I know there's lots of people like that. Sure. Denial, denial, denial. If you can get past that denial, your life can really kick ass. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what the recovery life's all about is embracing and acknowledging the areas of growth that you need to work on. And until we open up all those doors and explore them, we can't get the full impact that recovery has to offer us. You know, if it's mental health addiction, if it's like, you know, spending too much money or, you know, all the other that's, that's things that happen in our lives. Thing, yeah. Those are just vices. I mean, those are vices <laughs> that, that, that slow us down. Um, get in the way. Right, lad? Yeah, Tell that's right. It. Well, you know, my, my biggest vice in life is Dave. Uh, he slows me down. Uh, you know, he's got a bum knee and a, and a bad ankle and, a, and you know, Scoliosis, and so he can play a guitar pretty good. Yeah, he still can, but he le- he leans when he plays it. <laughs> yeah. Okie dokie, lad. Tell us about your. Um, no, no, we're not interviewing lad. That's right. <laughs> um, let's let's get back to Monta, the great, the great, the one and only, the the, the man with the tan. I do have a question for Monta. You know, sure. um, when did you become the director and since you became the director, how many people have gone through that program? Oh, uh, well, I, I, I became the executive director May of 2015. Um, and I, it would be hard to kind of calculate since we've had so much expansion. Uh, but I would say that when I came on, we were serving around 180 people in housing a month. And maybe 200 
200 clients a month through non-housing services throughout all of our different counties. Uh, and today we're serving over 440 folks in housing and probably another 500 or so a month through non-housing services. So um, our reach is, is tremendously greater right now. I'd like to ask you a question about what, you know, how do you track um, these guys as they go on? Is it kind of anecdotal or, or do you have sort of a, a way of saying, well, we have this percentage of people who get this far and this people, this, this trips up this percentage of people. I mean, I know yeah. that's, that's a lot of work Sure. and I'm not sure you guys are, are geared for it, but I, I'm curious how you think about that. Yeah. So it's a great, great question. It's, it's part of, um, uh, backfilling our administrative support right now. So right now within each County that we work with tracks their own, their own data. And we, we piggyback on that data, um, right now. But what we're doing at the organizational level is we just hired our first full-time data specialist. And so, and then we just brought on some, some software that's going to allow us to start mm-hmm. tracking that because really we only know anecdotally, well, we, we, we have some outcomes through the counties that tell us that we're doing good work in some programs. Mm-hmm. In some programs, we don't. We just have anecdotal data. You know, we don't. We we think we're doing a good job, right? Um, and, and I would. There's I've, pretty good evidence, uh, empirical evidence. That sure. Yeah. Um, so the goal this year is to roll out a full data collection system because we need to not only demonstrate that the what we're doing is working to our funders yeah we also need to know as an organization so if things aren't working we need to adjust and and make changes to make sure we're causing uh the greatest impact that we can in people's lives and to do that we have to be humble enough to go hey what we're doing right now is actually not working you get it and and we got to fix that but we can't do that flying blind And the size of the organization we are now, we need to have our ducks in a row. So we're working, um, we're working to get that in order. And then, also part of our, you know, we just finished finishing our three-year strategic planning process. One of those initiatives, um, we're working with multicultural collaborative, um, which has helped a lot of large um, uh, multifamily housing. Uh, developments happen and so we're preparing and creating our policies and our infrastructure so in the next three years we can get to the table and do a 50 unit apartment complex build through tax credits Mm. Um, and so but to do that we got to do a lot of prep work because our foundation isn't strong enough so we're doing all the administrative we're getting the right people to the table I'm trying to find the right board members in development um, to, to come on to help guide us through some of that and then also through um, uh, contracting with other folks. So we're putting the things in place to become, to, you know, to be able to af- offer not just that next step housing, but how do we get people into their own units for long-term um, housing. And so a lot of exciting stuff. We have a lot of initiatives on the table in the next three years. Um, and our goal is to serve more people the best that we can and to have the data in place to help guide us through that process. Yeah, great work. I, uh, I get excited about this stuff. You know, I think once you've turned your, your own life around and, you know, with help, um, you can you see how it works and you go, man, I can make a difference. Yeah. And I know that's what you, you're doing. Yeah. Um, that's what I want to do. That's what I like to do, and uh, I wanted to maybe ask you a little bit more about 
um, the aftercare. Again, a little bit, a little bit further into that. I don't think we got enough detail there. Yeah. So, um, like after folks have gone through the program, we have a alumni. Uh, program within Bridges to Change. Each county has their um, their own program set up, but not only do we have like the alumni program that people are starting to engage in because it takes alumni to make that successful. So that's a work in progress. Um, but oftentimes our mentors, even though aren't contracted or getting paid to work with the folks that they once worked with, they're still working with them. Like they're still getting phone calls. They're following up with them. Because it's a real deal. It's a real deal, you know, and, and, and those, those relationships are created, um, you know, and Doug Van Zant, even though I became employed by him later, he's still a, a person that I go to and he's come to me as well. You know, um, and he so- He was once the executive director? He was a program director of oh. Clackamas County, yeah. Was there, but there really wasn't. You're an executive director, right? I am. And there wasn't one before you. It was Chuck and Joanne Simpson, uh, and they were kind of. Uh, I think Chuck was Chuck would have been the executive director. But it was like a, 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 um, a re- evolution of a of an organization where eventually an executive director was, was crucial. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. there was a point where Bridges was at a tipping point. Of either making it or not making it, mm-hmm. um, and um, it it was that's when Chuck and, Chuck and Joanne retired out. Um, they had taken, they'd done a tremendous amount of work, but they but, weren't really about raising money. They didn't really. Yeah, and and more of like strength. in the, I think any even more of that was like they weren't able um, to fully operationalize the organization. Mm-hmm. Like they had passion doing the work and doing great work. But it had as gotten it, to a as point. As it grew, it was, it, you needed structure. You needed structure, and that's how nonprofits fail. Mm-hmm. Um, passionate grassroots startups, but you have to have some um, some business savvy to kind of take it to the next level so it survives. Because even though it is a nonprofit, it is a business. Um, Absolutely. You have to have things in place to be successful. Yeah, really, it's got to it's got to pay. There's got to pay the bills and. Um, you know, it's got to employ people. Look at all the em- employees that it takes to do this organization, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and and that's just cool on a lot of levels. The, the money is going to you know these people who have jobs, they create jobs, they uh, they support uh, people in the community, they support change, and so that money's going to a good place. And they're out there creating more money, you know, better economy by, sure. uh, instead of a negative pull, I mean, when people transform their lives, they lose, we lose a negative pull on drag on society and we gain this exponentially powerful person who might just go out and I, I feel like everyone who stays with, on that track changes the world. Yeah. You know, that's, it's just that simple. I agree. And it's the ripple effect. It's the, uh, it's the direct effect, the ripple effect. It's uh, exponential, again, I yeah. say. Yeah. yeah, I agree. You know, uh, um, you know how when we, we have guests on here and they always tell us, you know, the last guest we had, as a matter of fact, he, he told us that um, going to prison was really a blessing for him. Isn't that crazy for you to even think that, that, you know, you're going to go to prison and you come out of it, you know, with something like we all did, you know, a, a whole new outlook on life. And yeah. I'm sure that happened to you. And, and We needed that. We needed that to happen. That's, I mean, for me, that's, it was, it was necessary uh, to, to get where I'm at today. And I'm in a good place today. Yeah. So. And I don't think I'd trade it. I don't think I'd go back to redo. I mean, I feel like, 
my life no. has been created for what Who it is right now, yeah. and I and and the pain along the way, but now it's not so well, painful. Well, you can't go, <laughs> you can't really go back and redo it. But if you had the opportunity to go back, knowing everything you know now, of course you would. You'd be right. young, right. and you'd be like, I don't have to go through that <laughs> crap. I already know about that. But that's not the way life works. It's life is backwards, yeah. motherfuckers. <laughs> and how, how many times uh, have you ran across some guy that you were in prison with all those years ago, and they're like, Wow, dude. Who would have thought yeah. you'd be in this position in life? Yeah, and also the social circles that I run in, run with now that n- have no idea about my history, and when it is finally somewhat revealed, they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> really? Really? Yeah, you don't seem like it. I mean, look at you. You're a transformed human being. <laughs> right, You're right. this happy guy, big, great smile, yeah. Um, tan. Yeah. You know, <laughs> nice, nice little pretty boy haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't shave that last couple of days. No, no, but it looks, camping. you know, look. attractive it's look. F, you know what I mean? Oh, did I just say <laughs> F out loud? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> so, so Dave, before uh, we get out, um, the program's getting close to ending, Monte, is there uh, anything uh, that you want to promote Besides or just say? the website <laughs> name. Let's start with that. Yeah, yeah. the website. And, and, and what else? Yeah. Yeah, so the website is bridges2change.com. Um, you can find us there for our services or also an employment section. We have... Um, probably ten positions open. I don't know which they are, what they are, but they're in different counties. Mentor jobs, counseling jobs. You know, they're out there. Come check us out. Um, and I just wanted to really give a shout out to the the counties that support us, that fund us: Clackamas County, Washington County, um, Wasco County in the Dalles, really? um, and Multnomah County. Um, and they've been funding us for years, and and our partnerships are strong there. And, and I really appreciate them giving us the money. To do the yeah. work, although we could use some more. It takes money, and they need more money. Please, people, uh, if you got like money burning and a hole in your pocket, there's a good place to put it right there. Yeah, I believe that 100. Um, percent You know, and here we go. Hey, Monta, you've been great. Uh, I love, I love you, man. You're a great, you're a great dude. Thank great you, human man. Being. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you, uh, and thank you, thank you all of you for joining us this week on the Felony Inc. podcast with. Me, Dave Dahl, and my little buddy, Lad Justison. And uh, thanks again to our guest, Monta Knudsen of Bridges to Change. Bridges to Change.com. Com, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, join us this and every week live at 10 a.m. Pacific time at StartupRadioNetwork.com. If you don't join us live, we may visit your house late at night when you're least expecting it and make you listen, motherfuckers. Breaking and entering lad's ass. This will be full-on breaking and listening. Wow. That hurts every time you say that, Dave. (laughs) Well, of course it does. And coming up after the break is Latino Founder Hour with your hosts, Edgar Navas and Claudia Cardenas. Edgar and Claudia, baby. I see them out the window right now. They're there. Great couple, and their podcast is usually in Spanish. So, que pasa con mis hermanos? Why hermanos? You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.